From the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. You, old lady! Ed Grady. I'm not surprised the only women you see naked are in magazines. Tyler Bischoff. Again, this is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ed Grady is at Raiders practice at some point this morning. We'll talk to him, but not now. Filling in is John Von Tobel. Hello. What's up? Well, first time with you. I did fill in for you last week when it was Cofield and I. Um, interesting dynamic. We'll see how we play off one another. You and Cofield or you and Yeah, you and Cofield? I didn't think you guys had any, like, relationship. Really? Yeah. We don't really work that well together, I don't think. Probably not. I actually have a note for myself. Just make fun of Colts and Angels as much as possible today. Angels would be difficult. Well, yeah. Uh, Here's the thing. So... The more I have gotten into the world of sports media, like the less like sports fanny I've become. Me too. So, you know, for example, a few years ago, this is one of my great moments of shame. I got really hammered at a party, and I have a buddy who's like a really big Chargers fan, and I spent like ten minutes just like making fun of the Chargers. And at one point, I got oddly aggressive, and I was just like, I don't know why you cheer for this team. They suck, and they're never going to be any good. And I like legitimately hurt his feelings, I guess. And I had to apologize the next day. <laughs> I'm not like that. You know what I mean? Um, you had to apologize. The next yeah, I day. felt kind of bad. Like I got it wasn't even that. I, I don't even think it was that he was upset that I was making fun of the team. It was just the aggressive nature in which I was making fun of the team. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I don't feel for my team like that. Like if you tell me that the Colts like suck or the Angels suck, I'm like, yeah, they're probably right. Actually, you are right. Not about the Colts, so I have a ticket on them to win the Super Bowl at 30 to 1, though, so let's go. Are they going to do that, though? Come on. Come on. I think they can. Okay. I, I like mean, Matt Ryan. Yeah, okay. He like, seems like your your friend's cool dad. Does he? Yeah. He just seems like that one, like your friend's dad, who's just like, all right, you guys have fun. I mean, I can get into the the, the stats and the PFF stuff and the breakout player potential of Quiddy Pay and their pass rush and all that kind of stuff. But it's seven o'clock in the morning, and I don't know if you want hardcore Colts what analysis. Do you think at seven I do in the morning. on this show at seven in the morning. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, actually, your job is got to be the uh, just gut feeling guy. He's got all the PFF and stuff. Oh, cool. I'm down yeah. with that. The first bite. How long will the Josh McDaniels honeymoon last? All right, I'm going to read something Vic Taper wrote in the Athletic. The Raiders play four playoff teams in their first five weeks before their bye. And the fifth team, Denver, added Russell Wilson. So they would need at least a two and three start to avoid any panic or doubt setting in. It's been well documented what a tough division the AFC West is, but the Raiders roster has improved from last season. And anything less than a return to the playoffs would be a huge disappointment. This is, I think, the part of this Raiders season that I am fascinated to see play out. And that is that the fan base, and I assume Mark Davis, expectation is to be better than last season. A team that won 10 games and a team that was in the postseason, the team that was one possession uh, away from beating the Cincinnati Bengals in the first round. Mm -hmm. But win totals, odds to win the division, odds to win the Super Bowl suggest the Raiders are most likely missing the postseason, are most likely winning eight, maybe nine games might be finishing last in the AFC West. And I'm fascinated to see what happens if the Raiders start one and four against a tough start to the season. What happens if the Raiders 
are the worst team in the AFC West, which doesn't mean they're a bad team. It's just they're in a good division. What happens if they win seven or eight games, miss the postseason after Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler basically went all in with mm-hmm. going and getting Devontae Adams and giving out big contracts to a handful of guys? Like, what happens if the reality of the odds actually play out for this fan base? So I would say, first off, if you're out there um, looking at the odds and expecting something like that, remember that like future stuff, um, division, win total, not, not so much win totals, um, Super Bowl odds, they are more of a reflection of liability than true odds, right? So the Raiders aren't going to be the most popular team at the window, so thus you can probably shade them a little bit higher. So if you're out there, we're like, the disrespect, it's because nobody's betting them, okay? Um, so wait, Raiders fans that feel disrespected by sportsbooks should go bet more on the Raiders, yeah, like you, is, it, is what it, you're telling them If right you now? want your odds to be shorter, <laughs> bet into the market yeah. and increase the liability, <laughs> and then they'll cut, yeah, and then they'll short up the odds. I mean, look, at the end, the offseason mantra has been what? AFC West is loaded, it's Chargers, it's Chiefs, it's Broncos because of Russell Wilson. But to your original question, like, I do wonder if that kind of plays into the expectations. Not that they're that high, not being high, but you kind of have a bailout, right? Like, if you're talking about this and going, okay, let's go, let's say they win nine games, but the offense is like really solid. And, you know, your defense just can't hold up against some of these divisional opponents because they're so good. I think you can look at the end of the year if you miss out at nine and eight on the postseason and go, well, the thing we expected to be good was really good, right? Our offense. Defense needs some work, and we kind of expect that to a certain extent in certain positions. And maybe it's not so much disappointment, but it's like, hey, look, offense looks really good. We go into the offseason with a clear mission to improve our defense, and everything's going to be fine when we get to 2023. So. I've sort of viewed, and and I don't have any, nothing McDaniels or Ziegler have said have led me to this, just the moves they've made. They didn't touch the offensive line aside from drafting a guy in a middle round. They didn't do really anything to the secondary either. I mean, it's amazing to me that Jonathan Abram is still a projected starter for this defense. I think it was Tafer's article, one of the ones you sent over, like one of the things was like, what is Jonathan Abram? Like, I was like, that's still a thing. Right, like they did, like the two biggest weaknesses on the team. They basically didn't do anything. They swapped out Casey Hayward for Rocky Asin as a cornerback, but they basically didn't do anything to the two biggest weaknesses. And so my sort of thought process has been for McDaniels and Ziegler, it's not really about this season. Mm -hmm. It's more about next season, that this off season, they took care of sort of the premium positions. They went and got a number one wide receiver, Devontae Adams. They locked up Derek Carr, Chandler Jones, and Max Crosby at defensive. And those are like three of the biggest or most premium positions in football. And the next off season is when I assume they'll address the offensive line. They'll address the secondary and whatever holes they find throughout the season. And that that season, 2023 is the one when it will be a, you know, complete football team and a legitimate contender that contender. That's how I have viewed it. They've never said anything like that, mm-hmm. but basically from the standpoint of, Hey, it's hard to fix an entire team or, or fill a bunch of holes in one off season. It might take two. That's how I viewed it. I think the issue is, is that when you get the premium players, when you get the big name players, it immediately puts those expectations on you. Well, you've, you've got Adams, you got Chandler Jones next to Max Crosby. Why wouldn't you be good? Even if I think it's, hey, this is really about 2023, not so much about 2022. Yeah, no, I I would completely agree with that assessment. And I, I think when you look at it from the standpoint of like, you know, pressure, hot seat, whatever it is, I, I think if you're McDaniels at whatever happens this year, more of the pressure and the noise is going to come from the fan base. I think Mark Davis has shown that he's right. a pretty loyal guy. Like yes. he's not going to freak out after one year. I mean, we were watching some of those Gruden offenses and you're like, what the, what's going on here? And uh <laughs> He was still going to be fine with him unless, you know, obviously whatever happened with the emails. Um, 
But so I would say from a pressure and like, oh, my God, what's going to happen this offseason? I think they're going to be fine. And I think you hit it on the head. The way that they have handled this thing, they have handled some of the most important positions the way the football is being played now. And if you want to build on your offense, and, like, I even think, too, like, one of the things that, like, I was on um, I was on our sister station, Raider Nation Radio, a few months back. We were talking about, like, some some of the weaknesses on the, the, uh, the depth chart. Like, one of the things you're looking for, too, is who's starting opposite out wide. I think that's another thing, right? You right. have to add wide receiver depth, too. Aaron it's not Mala. a just throw them out. It, right. But it's not a perfect roster, kind of yes. to your point. And so, if you're looking at this with some logic, nine wins is certainly attainable, especially if your offense is going to be really good. And today's NFL, your defense just needs to be good in the red zone, and that's it. And if you can maintain that and push for a postseason spot, you're going to be good. And everything past that is gravy. But it's clear that I think the steps now are next year and the year beyond because you can build something pretty good. I think the the part that I'm most interested to see from like a more specific example is what happens when the offensive line like costs them a game. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when there's Derek Carr got sacked seven times today and the Raiders lost 31 to 17 or whatever. Like that's what I'm curious to see because – End of last season, anybody that paid any attention to the Raiders would have said, all right, into the offseason, they need to fix the offensive line. That would have been goal number one on most people's offseason agenda for the Raiders. And again, they did not touch it. Denzel Good yesterday, uh, Field Yates reported he's basically agreed to take a pay cut. He didn't have any free (laughs) kind of he didn't have any money guaranteed this year. So agreed to take a pay cut is probably not the right way to phrase it. But he was going to make $3.1 million this year if his contract had been played out. Instead, he's going to make $1.03 with incentives for $425,000 more. Nice. And the interesting part on that is that Denzel Good former Colt. might be their second best offensive lineman. Like, Potentially. Like Colton Miller is the left tackle, and he's mm-hmm. the only real, like, yep, that guy's really good offensive lineman on this team. Andre James was a below average center last year. We've talked a ton about Alex Leatherwood not being any good at right tackle or right guard last season. Like Denzel good might be their second best guy coming off of a season ending injury last year in week one. And he's getting paid $1 million. So it's like, I'm curious to see when we get into this season and there's a game or multiple games or hell it's last game of the year. And they miss out on the playoffs because the offensive line is good. How much criticism does the front office and ultimately McDaniels get because that should have been the number one thing addressed, but they didn't do it. They spent money other places. I do wonder, like, when we look back, oh, you guys didn't address the biggest problem with the team, and now that's why they're not in the postseason. Oh, they, they would deserve criticism for it. But here's the thing also. Like, the reality is, as bad as a guy like Alex Leatherwood was at times, he spent a first-round pick on him last year. You're going to give him another year to work something out. We've seen plenty of times where guys have really poor first years, catch somehow, change their offseason programs, whatever it is, come on, and are a little bit better. Right? And the, coach. And that's the other thing too, right? Like that's kind of like a little bit of a change. And so what happens if, like, we're always looking at this from the negative standpoint, what happens if they go into next year, Denzel good stays healthy. He's exactly what you expect him to be. And then Alex Leatherwood actually catches on and he becomes like a positive like contributor along the offensive line. Well, now all of a sudden you're looking at it, you go, well, three of our spots are actually solid, right? We know left tackle is really good. We know that Denzel good has a baseline of production. That's really solid. And Alex Leatherwood showed some growth this year. And then you go into next off season. You're like, all right, well, maybe we re-sign good to a little bit more. We have Alex Leatherwood. We'll bit. see. If Former he's Colt. good this year, yeah. I'd assume he's getting more than a million dollars. <laughs> you know what dollars. I mean? Uh, so then you, you re-ink him. You have all of a sudden Alex Leatherwood, who's on an upward trajectory. And now you're looking at your line and going, okay, cool. We have two spots to address going into the offseason. So I think that's kind of why you take this approach, too, if you're Las Vegas. I mean, you don't want to freak out after one year. Yeah, it was a really bad year for Alex Leatherwood. But at the same time, 
you spent, you did, you invested a lot in him with that pick. You want to see if he can pan out for you as you come into this season. And I think that's why you roll the way that you did. Do you buy into the idea that you can play or quarterback around a bad offensive line, kind of like the Bengals did last season? You can, but I mean, you have to do what the Bengals did, right? Like it was a lot of quick stuff. It was getting the ball out. It wasn't hanging Joe Burrow out there to dry. Um, And like, the thing too with them was like they didn't revolt. Like that's what I'm really interested in in terms of this offense because the Patriots under McDaniel's and Bill Belichick and you know whatever that influence was throughout the years that he has been there, they've taken on so many different shapes, right? Just due to their personnel. And I wonder if like this is going to be because last year they were they were a very conservative offense, but they also had a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. And I wonder what this offense looks like because, like you said, I'm, I'm not sure about the offensive line. Don't think the run block is going to be very good. I think they can do a little bit more of like a quick passing attack. Like awesome. Like you have a lot of guys who can work well after the catch. I think it'd be pretty effective. And I think if you do it right, you can. I mean, we've seen it before. JVT in for Ed Graney today. Coming up next, how the hell do we get the golden ice trade for Matthew Kachuk? Probably spent more time golfing than I would have thought I would have. You know, I spent two years in Florida and I probably picked up my clubs only a handful of times. And, uh, you know, that's something that's changed. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. JVT in today for Ed Graney. We'll talk to Ed a little bit later in the show. Um, before we get into some Golden Knights, Jared, why is there a seven foot tall Ben Wallace uh, inflatable thing in the studio? I. Oh. Like I do some. And you just now <laughs> saw it? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it, we were talking about um, Iguodala compare, saying Rashid Wallace would be better than uh, Giannis. And I told my two Rashid Wallace stories, my two Rashid Wallace stories, and one of them happened to actually be a Ben Wallace story, which was when I was a kid and my dad owned an indoor baseball and softball training facility, he had a book of like random sporting goods that I would look through. And I was always fascinated that there was a seven-foot blow-up Ben Wallace. Well, that looks like that's one of those like those clown things, right? Like you can punch and then it like pops, pops. right back. Well, what up. you're supposed to do if you look at the back, there's two handles, and what you're supposed to do is uh, like, this be, is like, for actual it's like a drill. You're practice. supposed to yeah, you're supposed to try to shoot, over. To shoot over Wallace. That's more fun than a broom they usually use in practice. The actual size, like tall wise, it doesn't look that tall. Uh, well, he's a little deflated. We were not great at getting the cap on. Whenever we were filling him full of air. Did you blow up with your lungs? No. Oh, okay. God, no. Ben Wallace is only 6'9". Only 6'9". Only. Okay, yeah. fine. Full 6'9". I feel like he's a little short. Probably. It's probably like 6'3 over there. So, Close Aren't enough. you 6'3"? Are you 6'3"? No. Oh, okay. Let me Almost. see. I'm like 6'1 six, six right. when I first wake up. Let's see. That does not make any <laughs> sense. I don't believe that at all. Um yeah, this is great radio. As uh, JVT okay, so stands next JVT to it. is what approximately I'd, five inches shorter. Yeah, I'd put it four or five inches shorter so than Ben Wallace. Six six. Six he's six. A, ben Wallace. Yeah, we got a solid. T- I think you're. I think you're a little awkward. What are you uh, talking about? Are you talking about the actual Wallace or him? The inflatable. The Wallace. inflatable Wallace. Yeah, you're about four or five inches off the inflatable Wallace. About a hand. Yeah. Four inches. How how big do you think that is? Oh no, he's ben going Wallace. down. Six rolling over. This wow, is this is great radio. This is absolutely terrific. JVT has now thrown Ben Wallace to the ground. Okay. It's the physical era of the NBA back in the day. You know? Was oh yeah, yeah, you could get away with that. Yeah, That's you flagrant can... too now. <laughs> you are out of the game. These wussies. That's right. But They're with soft. a P instead. <laughs> All right. Matthew Kachuk. 
24-year-old restricted free agent from the Calgary Flames. Scored 42 goals last season. Has told Calgary he will not sign a long-term deal. According to The Athletic, Kachuk also told Calgary that he would sign a long-term deal with the following teams. St. Louis, Florida, Nashville, Dallas, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, The Golden Knights who have approximately negative cap space, even after trading Max Pacioretty, because they still have to sign I don't think that's players. approximate. I think they literally do. No, I think technically right now they actually have cap space, but they've got to sign guys. Puckpedia has them at uh, projected negative, yeah, $2 million. Yeah, so, but they still have to sign guys, so we'll see what they end up doing. Um, they're going to use long-term IR. But I want so badly for the Golden Knights to trade for Matthew Kachuk. Because throughout the history of this organization, this has been the player they have gone after. Right. The suddenly unhappy or even just a team that's going to decide to trade away an asset or something like that. The Golden Knights go get that guy. They've done it for their entire existence. I think we're this is the first time in this last like 12 months that they haven't gone and done that because they've been over the salary cap. But I want so badly for this to happen. I don't even know if it's possible But the 24-year-old who scored 42 goals, who's saying, hey, one of the six teams that I'd be willing to sign a long-term deal with is you, in the past, they'd be all over it. I don't think they will be because it's physically impossible. Right. Like, they'd have to, because here'd be the problem. They would have to give up assets to get him and then possibly have to move more assets to make cap space for him, depending on who they sent to Calgary. And they'd end up making a trade like they just made with Max Pacioretty, where they trade him for literally nothing. Right. Not only trade him for nothing, they had to add a sweetener. Dylan Coglin apparently had to be involved in that trade. But I would love to see it because it would be hilarious if they did it again. I was going to say, it'd be right like right up their alley. Right. It's, it's, it's a Vegas Knights thing. Right. But uh, like, like you said, it just doesn't seem very realistic with the way. And I just think like, like at some point... Not to say what they're doing isn't working, but the patches trade does tell you that to what you're doing to a certain extent isn't working yeah. with your asset management. You got to change your stripes a little bit here. No, go <laughs> trade for it. It'd be great. So the Golden Knights, and this is this is what I'm curious when George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon ultimately look back on their time in Vegas. I wonder how much they're going to look back and view any of those big name acquisitions as a mistake because they had a cup contending team in mm-hmm. year one. And listen, outside of this past season where injuries did play a major part in it, even if they were somewhat self-inflicted, but injuries played a major part before this last season, they were still a cup contender, right? Even when they lost in the first round to San Jose, it's still a team that could have gone on to win the Stanley cup. So it's not like they've completely ruined this team, but they had a cup contender with a ton of salary cap space. And you fast forward four years and now they're farther away from the Stanley Cup, and they have negative cap space at the moment. They are having to trade away good players for absolutely nothing to create some cap space so they can basically fill out the roster. And I wonder when they look back where they would draw the line and say, oh, that was a mistake. Because they had a, they had a team that went to the Stanley Cup final a ton of cap space. It would have been dumb for them not to go out and try to find some big-name players, right? They, Correct. Basically, go add your Mark Stone to the roster. That... They should have done something like that. Especially just, when, by the way, you just like one of those, a couple of those players you caught landing in a bottle with, right? Like right, William Carlson exactly. has never been the same player since right. that year. 
And but the problem is, is they need that there, there there needed to be a line somewhere. They needed to stop somewhere, and they just they just never did. Mm-hmm. And I wonder when they look back where they'll say, "Oh, that's where the line was. That's where we should have stopped. We should have ended with." Stone and Pacioretty or whatever. Like, we shouldn't have acquired Leonard. We shouldn't have acquired Petrangelo. I wonder when they look back where they'll draw that line because it they've clearly blown past it, and it's a big reason why this team probably won't win a Stanley Cup in the next three to four years is because their roster's in absolutely terrible shape for the mm. future. I they probably won't. No. I mean, there, there's certain, there seems to be... There's perhaps a certain arrogance like that you kind of get when you look when you look at some of these like press conferences and media availabilities and whatnot. And I think if you're looking at it realistically, right, they're probably looking back like, no, we gave our team the best shot. Right. And now not to say that they're blaming other people, but I think when you when they look back on it, they'll view that they did what they needed to do. And that's exactly what a front office should do. At what point do these stars stop saying they want to come to Vegas, considering Vegas keeps going like, well. We shouldn't have traded for you. We're getting rid of you. The interesting part about hockey players and Vegas falls into this because there's no state income tax. Right. I don't hear that argument in like any other sport, but every time there's a hockey free agent or something, it's like, Oh, tax free state. And that's what Matthew Kachuk's list is. I think it was outside of St. Louis, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, Nevada, right? Like, we, we heard it with Evgeny Dodonov. It was never, I think, officially reported, but Evgeny Dodonov was reportedly his no-trade clause teams mm-hmm. were the teams that were going to tax him the most money. I, I, I've i never heard, like, oh, the Raiders signed a guy because, oh, it's a tax-free state. Devontae Adams wanted to play with Derek Carr, or, oh, he wanted to play in a tax. Like, it's only in hockey we hear that, and I think it's weird. What's the high, like, highest-paid players in hockey or what? Like, give me a range. Uh, ballpark. 12? Is it 12, Right, I that's think? what I'm saying. So, like, in these other sports... I mean, these guys are making way more money. They're losing more money too. Though. They are, but like it's all percentage base. I think that's probably why. Like, if you're not and look, nine million dollars is a lot of money uh, in the grand scheme of things. But I think when you're looking around at the landscape of professional sports, if I'm a professional athlete and the highest paid guys in my sport are making twelve, when the highest paid athletes in other sports are making forty two and forty five, <laughs> I think you probably want to maximize as much as you can get. I would assume that's a big reason why. But I, I would think if you're a basketball player, you would think the same right. way. You'd be like, well, I'm getting $42 million. I want to get all of it or as, as much of it as I can. I just, it's just, and I think you might be right that yeah. these guys are making, like, on the scale of professional athletes, significantly less. But it's just still weird to me that it's so prevalent when talking about where hockey players want to go or end up going. And it's like, it never comes up. Like, never. Yeah. Like, we've never, have we heard a baseball player that's like, oh, well, I don't want to go play for the Dodgers because I'm going to lose money. Like Freddie Freeman signed for potentially less money in LA. Maybe he can blame his agent, but like he's getting taxed more there. All right. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. For, I'll answer the easy one first. Um, so for me, it's a lot easier. If you're saying my full name, it's a lot easier to say Foster Moreau. Uh, I get that. I understand that it kind of sequences into each other really well. I've never really minded it, and it's never really mattered to me. Uh, the way my dad always said it was Moro, like M-O-R-R-O-W, or M-O-R-E-O-H. Uh, so that doesn't it, it, it really affect me, but I'm glad you watched Will's podcast. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Oh, get your towels ready. It's about to go down. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus. Is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. How are you today? 
I'm doing well, Tyler. How are you guys doing? Great. All right. Important question for you. Do you believe Kyler Murray is a quarterback you can win with on a big deal? Or is he one of the guys that you can only win with if he's on his rookie contract? Yeah, I mean, that is that is definitely the, the hot topic question here today. I do think that he has not shown it, um, I would say, really, right? Of course, no playoff wins. Everyone kind of wants to measure him by that particular stick. Uh, hasn't really shown it in the way that uh, Lamar Jackson is, who's the guy that he is kind of compared to in a lot of different sense of the word. So um, I would say right now, especially given the organizational structure of the Arizona Cardinals, what they've struggled in doing and kind of building out a winner around Kyler Murray and having to uh, make some sort of almost like panic-type decision uh, in regards to like trading, going out and getting Zach Ertz, going out. Uh, and even though they did win the DeAndre Hopkins, uh, trade. I do think that those sorts of things, going out and getting Marquise Brown, uh, they've been almost panicked moves from Steve Kimes' perspective. So I think even though you could maybe win with Kyler Murray, I don't think he's going to win in this particular situation, uh, given the current state of the Arizona Cardinals. So we're starting to see an increased sample size as well, Ben, over the last couple of years. The second half fades from Arizona have partly been because of Kyler Murray's play. I think that would worry me too. Like the length of this deal, like I don't think it's going to age well, this contract, just given yep. what we've seen in the second half of these seasons, no? Yeah, definitely. And I think, and I think uh, you know, like Benjamin Solak from the ringer actually pointed this out as well, but it's not just the Kyler Murray thing, right? We actually have seen the same thing with Cliff Kingsbury dating back to his days with Texas Tech as well. He's never been a guy who has uh, successfully uh, schemed, you know, an offensive play calling situation in the second half of the season that's been really productive. Once there's some film on him in that particular offense, in that particular season, uh, he struggled mighty in the second half of the year. And I do think that that is you know, a concerning aspect for a team that uh, is kind of aging in a lot of the wrong spots, right? And I do think adding in you know, Kyler Murray no longer on his rookie deal, uh, there's a lot more concern and there's a lot more that they're going to need from Kyler Murray and things in order things to break right in order for them to even improve on, you know, where they were at last year. So definitely a concern. Uh, it is somewhat of a small sample size, but I do think a lot of that goes back to Cliff Kingsbury and maybe being a pretty good initial offensive scheme play caller, but not necessarily being able to make some of those adjustments and being successful, uh, you know, going to the next level, like guys like Sean McVay definitely do. How do you bet on that? How do you take advantage of, Hey, the Cardinals, Cliff Pink, Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, they have a track record of fading down the stretch. Like, how do you actually bet on that? Especially if they get off to like a six and one start or something. Like, how do you take advantage if you believe that's always going to happen? How do you take advantage of that? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, you obviously monitor, you know, some of where their preseason numbers are at. Uh, right now, obviously, we have spreads for, you know, all 17 games. If you want to bet it over at like DraftKings, Superbook, those sorts of places have that already. Monitoring where those are right now, and if they do get kind of off to a hot start, uh, there's probably going to be just a little bit of overcorrection if they do get off to, you know, six and one, uh, you know, five and two, those sorts of things where you could potentially play into it now. Uh, but now that the narrative is kind of, you know, at least entered into the market more and more. I think it's something that could potentially be uh, baked in or at least factored in from a public sentiment perspective uh, to the point where maybe it's not really all that uh, worthwhile of a strategy. But I do think if we see some pretty significant corrections based on their, you know, early season performance to the point where they are kind of getting, you know, much bigger spreads moving in their direction, I do think that's the spot where you can tar maybe start to take advantage uh, of a Cardinals potential slide if that's what you want to buy into. Also, if you're in the right market, some spots offer like adjusted win totals as the season goes along, you know, depends on how yep. deep into the season too. So that's something you could attack as well. So wait, if they get six yep. and one JVT, 
Are you trying to like find an eight and a half and bet the under on eight and a half after six and one start? <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to get that extreme. But like Ben, I think you bring up a good point. Like to, along the line of Tyler's question, it's not even so much betting them now. If they get off to another hot start, their power rating as the season goes along is going to go through the roof, and you're going to be able to yeah. bet against them consistently as the year goes along too, from an against the spread standpoint, because they are going to be power rated to the moon, but they might not be as good as their power rating suggests. Thus, some value in betting against them on a week to week basis. Yep, exactly. And I think that is exactly kind of what played out last year, right? I do think, uh, you know, when they got past, you know, the, the seventh game mark, everyone was kind of buying into him. I do think there were some power ratings that had him as, you know, the third best team in the NFL at that stretch. They were definitely having some pretty significant adjustments to their preseason spreads in season once they kind of got out to that hot start. And I do think that uh, there's definitely some overcorrection that can definitely happen in the betting market uh, if you're looking at the right spots and the right team. From October 28th on, Tyler, 3-5 and five against the spread. The Arizona Cardinals also 3-5 and five down the stretch. So it gives you an idea of the value you can have in betting against a team like that. Ben Brown with us from Pro Football Focus. I have asked you this quite a few times. I've been curious to see how your thoughts on it change. But if you were giving me uh, the odds that Jimmy Garoppolo plays for the 49ers this year, what would it be right now? I think uh, I've, been, I've been kind of bullish on the fact that I thought that he would at least get into training camp uh, and they, maybe they wouldn't find a ton of suitors for him. It didn't seem like they wanted to cut him. I do think that they're more open to, you know, moving on to moving out from him for uh, basically nothing right now, right? I do think they have their sights set on Trey Lance uh, as the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, so I could see them making any sort of deal to kind of get him out the door. The question is, you know, is there actually a suitor? And I still don't think, you know, they want to really make a deal with a team like the Seattle Seahawks, who are probably the one likely trade destination Maybe there's, you know, some things there with, you know, Atlanta, but I do think Marcus Mariota is probably a better option given who they have, you know, backing up Marcus Mariota in Atlanta and Desmond Ritter. I do think, you know, the, the, the similarities between those two guys makes a lot more sense than trying to get bring in somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo. So my problem with Jimmy the whole time has been there's just not really a good fit for him anymore, and I don't think that uh, that's necessarily changed. So uh, I'm still on board with him potentially breaking camp with the San Francisco 49ers. I'd probably put it, even given you know some of the agent rumors that we heard earlier this week, uh, probably right around a 50-50 proposition. So what do we make of San Francisco as a team then? Because like the way I look at this season, uh, I handicap them as a team that is going to roll with Trey Lance, but their power rating bends really high. We're talking about like win totals like 10, 10 and a half, uh, odds to win that division, second choice behind the Rams, and they're pretty tight in terms of the splits there. Uh, how do you rate San Francisco as the Trey Lance era begins? Because I feel like the market's pretty high on them, too high even. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on being too high on them. I've probably thought that for you know the past couple of years, obviously, was pretty wrong on that last year. Uh, and I do think that Kyle Shanahan, it seems to be that the market uh, probably reacts yep. to his you know influence more so than any other team in the NFL. I do think Sean McVay, in some ways, gets a lot of you know recognition, but for some reason, the San Francisco 49ers, year in and year out, seem to be overpriced if you're looking at a lot of these traditional metrics that you would build a power ranking off of. So I do think there's definitely some Kyle Shanahan influence. I think they open up, you know, a much wider distribution. I think you're going to hear a lot of people say that, but I don't think that their uh, downside is properly priced in right now. So for them to miss the playoffs, those sorts of things, that's the spot where I'd really want to target the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think that um, – I think that they have, you know, the possibility to get back to where they were in 2021, but I do think that there is a significant downside with Trey Lance, at quarterback, that essentially nobody's really taking into account all that much. So if I was playing them, I do think that – uh, they 
could potentially finish third in the division. That does mean that you are kind of buying into Arizona. Uh, that was a spot that I did kind of like uh, at certain stretches, but I do think that that requires, you know, Kyler Murray to be uh, a pretty drastic upgrade in the second half of the season than what he was last year. Ben, rate how dumb this bet is. Betting the Indianapolis Colts to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty bad, right? I, and I think I've been one of the uh, bigger proponents of the Indianapolis Colts. I, I do think that they are not necessarily a lock to win the AFC South, but I do think they still make a lot of sense at a minus price to win that particular division. I do think we see uh, you know, the Tennessee Titans probably fall off more dramatically than what even people are anticipating right now. So I do think they probably run away with that division. They just don't have uh, the pieces, I would say, offensively to really compete with the class of the AFC. Like I, I don't see them going on the road and beating the Buffalo Bills. I don't see them going on the road and beating the Kansas City Chiefs. So, so from that perspective, if they do get to the Super Bowl, yeah, they're going to have, uh, you know, they, they could even be favored against the team in the NFC, but I just think their path to actually get there, even in winning the AFC South, uh, is going to be pretty difficult from my perspective. All right, so Jared buried the lead there. Uh, market consensus on the Colts in the range of 20 or 22 to 1. What if, <laughs> what if said better got 30 to 1? I mean, I, I might be worth, the, the smallest of sprinkles. I do think you're going to need to see MVP <laughs> Matt Ryan performance. I would, I would love to see Julio Jones break camp with the Indianapolis Colts. Agreed. We're really locking in that bet. But uh, I think, you know, they, they got to get something at the secondary wide receiver position. It's a spot where Matt Ryan, you know, he's, he's not a guy that uh, has really targeted running backs and tight ends throughout his career. That is where, you know, Carson Wentz did make a lot, you know, when he did have success, he was actually somewhat successful in throwing to his tight ends, both in Philadelphia and in Indianapolis. So I do think, you know, that Frank Reich type offense is going to have to shift a little bit, but uh, they're going to need Alec Pierce to really step up as a secondary wide receiver. And I think, you know, from where we have him from a PFF perspective, he can definitely fly downfield, but a lot of, you know, the polished route running capabilities and those sorts of things uh, are going to leave a lot to be desired. So if they don't find somebody for that secondary wide receiver position, uh, I think there's just not a lot of opportunity for them to actually get past the hump out in the AFC. Uh, on the other side of the ball for them, uh, I, Pay for me has been a guy to circle that's at a pretty high I ceiling. Uh, what do you, uh, well, because I think it's actually interesting. <laughs> he can speak to this. PFF rated them pretty highly in terms of a grade. You can get him in the range like 201 to win defense player of the year. What do you expect in terms of growth from Pay at defensive end? Yeah, I do think, you know, last year there was, uh, you know, obviously Michael Parsons ran away with it, but I do think there was a, a certain stretch where Keedy Pay probably yep. could have been the second best option for defensive rookie of the year candidate. Uh, I, you know, like you said, PFF had graded him really high above average PFF passing grade. I think he can definitely make a step in year two. I like him quite a good bit. I do think defensively for, as a whole for the Colts, uh, definitely finished well above expectation from a turnover perspective. I think they had the highest EPA generated on turnovers in the NFL last year, and that was like one of the highest we've seen in the past 10 years. So if you expect that to regress a little bit, uh, you know, they, they could definitely take a step back defensively. Uh, but we'll see. I, I don't think TD Pace definitely, uh, you know, in my consideration for defensive player of the year, but I do think that he could be, uh, you, know, you know, a 10-plus sack type guy here uh, when it's all said and for the Indianapolis Colts. I do think that would be a pretty successful season for him. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Thank you, Ben. All right. We got tickets to give away for Ultimate Ninja World Series Finals at the Orleans Arena this weekend. Be caller number five right now at 702-364-1100. You're going to see some of the best qualified ninja athletes compete in the Ultimate Ninja World Series. That is at the Orleans Arena this weekend. Caller number five right now. You win four tickets to the Ultimate Ninja World Series Finals. 702 
364-1100. Stetson's one of the least respected good players there is in this country. And guess what? We get to see it every day. The kid's a tremendous athlete. He's got a good arm strength. People just keep doubting him, and that's fine with me. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. John Von Tobel and Fred Graney today. That'll join the show at 9 o'clock. Congratulations to Jerry. He won tickets to the Ultimate Ninja World Series Finals at the Orleans. We got more tickets to that, plus tickets to ZZ Top to give away. Uh, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals finally agreed to a contract extension. It's a five-year deal, max value of $230 million. Ian Rapport reported that it's $160 million guaranteed that would be 46 million per season by the way um on an average value so kyler murray gets this extension done gets the big dollar amount from the cardinals if you were the cardinals would you have done this do you believe you can win with kyler murray making 40 plus million dollars a year well that yeah that's the important part of the qualifier there and i would say probably not I mean, look, we've seen in today's day and age, like the best window for these teams are when your rookie pans out is really good and you get it early, right? The Chiefs got it early with Patrick Mahomes. Now you got to deal with, and here, that's the other part is it can happen, but you as a team, you better be pretty good at drafting. Like you better be pretty good at drafting, developing all of these sort of things. And yeah, Cardinals are okay. They're not like out of this world. I don't think when you think of the teams in the National Football League who have done a good job of using their draft assets and turning them into prospects that have worked out you don't really go to them immediately and we talked about it with ben brown a lot of the moves that they made that made them a contender very quickly were trades free agent signings things of that nature like that is i think very thin ice to be on if you're a national football league franchise so the part of this extension that i find interesting is the sentiment that the cardinals had to do it like i think you and i kind of agree the Cardinals aren't winning a Super Bowl with Kyler Murray making $40 plus million mm-hmm. a year. It's going to be incredibly difficult for them to build a good enough roster to do that. And so if you, as an NFL team, think, hey, we can't win with Kyler Murray making $40-something million a year, why would you give him $40-something million a year? But there's the sentiment that the Cardinals had to do it. And it's what happens to a lot of NFL teams. It's happened to the Raiders like three times now with Derek Carr, where you know that guy is not good enough. He's not one of the top five guys in the NFL that you can win with if he's getting paid $40 million. But you still feel obligated to give him the money because he's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th best quarterback in the league. And it's hard to find one of the top 12 quarterbacks fear, in the league, right? right? Yeah. And, it, and it's for the Cardinals, and you don't have Kyler Murray. Who is your quarterback, right? Are you one of the teams that's stuck thinking, do we need Jimmy Garoppolo? Is Marcus Mariota our quarterback? Like, I understand that fear part of it. And the other part of this is, is your goal simply to win the Super Bowl or is your goal to be good? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you're the Cardinals and you look around and say, hey, we just we just want to be relevant. We don't necessarily need to win the Super Bowl, but let's, let's be relevant. Then you keep Kyler Murray. But if your goal is simply to win the Super Bowl, Signing guys like Kyler Murray and Derek Carr is in this category too. Kirk Cousins in that category. No, no, don't There's, talk about my boy Kirk like that. Don't talk about my boy. He's Kirk in like the that. same category. Uh, one of the top five quarterbacks last year, statistically. Same category. Always got to throw that qualifier in there. Statistically, those are the guys. If your goal is to win the Super Bowl, if your goal is to win the Super Bowl, you don't sign those guys mm-hmm. to the big deal. You move. You go draft somebody and say we're going to pay you the rookie uh, pay scale and hope that we can build a team. 
but it's such a, hey, we've got one of the top 12 guys. We can't possibly let him go, even if we know this caps our ceiling at an 11-win team that makes it to the second round of the mm. postseason. Well, and he, the thing, too, is like some of the guys who are listed, like the elite quarterbacks that get these deals that we're talking about, right, where you give them these the, all of this money, like it, it is warranted to risk that. Like Russell Wilson, he was warranted to get that type of money because he was like a, a dominant good quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, we can go down the list there. Justin Herbert seems like he's going to be one of those guys as well. My problem with this is not only what you do for your team, like for yourself as a team in terms of like how you back yourself into a corner from financially. I mean, Murray last year, 24 and 12, I think in terms of touchdown interception ratio, somewhere in that range, we have a track record. We talked about this with Cliff Kingsbury, but we, you know, it's, it's a growing sample size of second half fades from Kyler Murray in terms of his level of play, right? The turnover worthy plays go up. The multi touchdown pass games go down uh, under pressure last year. He was a really poor quarterback, four touchdowns, four interceptions, eight turnover worthy plays, only 53% completion. And you could say, oh, all quarterbacks are bad under pressure. Yeah. Some, some handle it better than others though. And when you're a smaller guy, it's not going to work out either. So that's the thing that worries me on top of this. It's not just putting yourself in that situation financially. If he was Russell Wilson, then I think you can kind of be like, yeah, we'll, we'll bite that bullet. Not the case. Can you win with Lamar Jackson making $40 million? Because that's the next quarterback, presumably, to get an extension. <laughs> that is, I would kind of say no. He's been declining. The numbers have been declining each of the last two seasons. Like, that's, that's the worry there. Lamar Jackson, $45 million a year. Or Tyler Huntley, seven million a year. Well, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, really? Yes. Because I think I'd go the other way. No, you wouldn't. Do you get forty million more to spend on your roster? It, it, no, no, you wouldn't. I think I would. Most important position in the, in the league. You're not rolling to battle with Tyler Huntley. I think I would. No, you if I, if my goal was win the Super Bowl, I would. Hand it up, Tyler. Yeah. If my if my goal was win twelve games, make it to the AFC Championship, I'll keep Lamar. But if my goal is to win the Isn't Super the Bowl. Isn't the AFC Championship game a, a game away from the Super Bowl? Doesn't mean you're good, though. 49ers <laughs> were just in the NFC one. They're not any good. They suck.